Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. Oh, really? Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I know I know you. I know you. I did as you saw. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 112 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. And joining me this week on the show, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Ryan C. Showers. Hi. Tom O'Brien. Sup? <laughs> and joining us for the first time ever on the main show cody derricks everybody hi hey hey cody coming over from next best theater onto the main show i am happy graduation sir nah. thank you so much <laughs> he's on the rise like ally and a star is born oh my lord oh my God. so does that mean matt is bradley cooper and he's gonna fade off into the the background listen i just wanted to do another podcast with you <laughs> in any event everyone we have a lot to talk about in this jam-packed episode this week we're going to be talking a lot about what what's going on at annapurna we got some academy news we have some trailers some fan questions to discuss a lot of things going on this week but first i want to start off with what did everyone catch up on this week i know a lot of us are still catching up on some festival titles some things uh coming out in theaters that pertain to the oscar race so let's start off there what did everyone say I saw, in addition to First Man, which I know everyone has been talking about this past weekend, I got a chance to catch up with The Hate You Give. Yes! Which is incredible. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of my 10 favorite films of the year. It is just, the storytelling is so spectacular here. It deals with so many issues. And when you watch the trailer for it, it looks like a good movie, but it seems like a one-issue movie, which would have been all well and good because it's such an important issue. This is like a real character piece, and you see the growth of this character star in just many different aspects of her life, her family life, her school life, her becoming like a social justice warrior, that the performances, especially from, from Russell Hornsby, Amanda Stenberg, and Regina Hall are just absolutely superb. I have to echo everything that Michael just said. It is one of the great surprises of 2018 for me, and um, I'm sure Michael and I both agree on this matter that we highly recommend everyone to check it out because it, it actually is surprisingly very emotional. It's very mature in the way that it handles the themes and how well it balances and juggles all of those themes yeah, as well. Yeah, all these because, characters all get their moment in the spotlight. Yeah. Even Common, who plays her uncle, he has a really terrific scene. Regina Hall is Yeah, fantastic. Regina Hall, who, I mean, it's going to be tough having Regina Hall and Regina King in a conversation this year, <laughs> yes. the two Reginas, but I mean, they are both so, I mean, I assume Regina King is great, but Regina Hall is so terrific here. 
I'm so happy she's finally getting her due. I've loved her since Scary Movie. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, and she's so great in Support the Girls, too. Another um, independent uh, film that came out earlier this year that if you guys get a chance to check it out, I wholly recommend that as well. Uh, the Hate You Give is one of those movies, though. And, Michael, maybe you can uh, speak to this. Um, I have a very strong feeling that this could show up, not just for Russell Horns being Best Supporting Actor, but I'm getting the feeling that it might show up in Best Adapted Screenplay as well. Oh, totally. I think uh, we had long assumed that First Man was pretty strong in screenplay, but then it seems like if there's a weaker element to that film, it is in the writing. So if that falls out, I think it opens up a space for The Hate You Give, which would be really beautiful because the screenwriter actually just passed away last week. Yes. And in addition to being a terrific screenplay, I mean, it'd just be a nice way to honor her. Yeah. So I think it could pop up there. And Russell Hornsby, you know, for the longest time, Hugh Grant had been my supporting actor winner ever since I saw Paddington 2 back in January. And uh, he was just dethroned. Wow. Really? Yeah, it it is like he he was in Fences and he was terrific, but not on screen so much. When he's on screen here, it is like he is a totally different person. And it feels like you're watching a play. He's a theater actor who's done a lot of regional theater. And you just sort of feel when he's giving these monologues, it feels like you're watching a play. There is a uh, quiet intensity to that performance that feels so both vulnerable but at the same time so strong and empowering uh his his monologues have the ability to give you chills when you watch absolutely and he has like three or four of them Mm -hmm. yeah i I definitely would love to see him show up and also too, be on the lookout um our very own will mavity actually had an interview with russell hornsby which will be showing up on the podcast pretty soon yeah, so if this were a review, I'd say 9 out of 10, one of the best movies of the year. Go see yeah. it when it expands nationwide next week. And the nice thing, too, is that it, it looks like it's got hold, staying power because it in only 248 theaters this week, it's in the top 10. Yeah, and last wow. week it was only in 36. I was surprised it was even in the suburbs where I am, but I went on like a Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock, and it was packed. Awesome. Who else? Um, so Michael kind of mentioned um, First Man and The Hate You Give. So I'd like to make a segue. Um, I actually did. Um, sw- I haven't seen The Hate You Give, um, but I did swap First Man and The Hate You Give two weeks ago in my predictions just on a, a whim, thinking that First Man is going to be more of a technical movie um, and a director's movie than it will be a writing and acting movie. Um, and after hearing Michael's reaction to The Hate You Give and yours, Matt, and after seeing First Man myself, um, I think that I, I, I was um, onto something because the as amazing and breathtaking as um, Damien Chazelle's directing is, I thought the writing was very weak. Um, and ba- and the most basic way to tell the Neil Armstrong story. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I have to echo that. I would actually say that the writing is my maybe uh, the weakest element of the film for me too because it also doesn't give any of the major supporting actors outside of Claire Foy anything to do and they cast so many exciting big name actors in those roles and they just feel wasted in this. So at a two, almost two and a half hour movie to not find room for people like Kyle Chandler or Syrian Hines or um, Patrick Fugit. I mean, really, Jason Clark's the only one who gets anything to really do in this, but it's not that much still. No. And I think that's a flaw of Josh Josh Singer himself because we had, the, we had similar criticisms of The Post last year where, yeah. where Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks um, ran the show, especially Meryl Streep. 
and um, it had all of these big name people in these minor roles, and it was kind of distracting. I would argue that First Man is kind of in this in the same vein. And when it, and isn't it ironic too that he won the Oscar for what is truly an ensemble piece, Spotlight? Yeah. Yes. Well, and another piece of irony is you know Josh Singer writes this beautifully constructed feminist character in K. Graham last year, and then this year melt toast basic traditional life character that he that you could possibly think of and i'm not knocking claire foy herself as an actress i like her i think that she does a good job with material i don't think she's very creative in how she presents this very stereotypical character oh i have to disagree with you there ryan she's good in her her one scene um the scene where she uh, before he leaves other than that i don't think that she thought outside the box about how to make this character new or fresh or exciting. What what does everyone else think here? No, she only has so much to work with, but I mean, that's the character itself. I I mean, how much more could you expand on that? Was she supposed to go to space with Neil? I mean, no, but think about the way that Marion Cotillard um, played um, Daniel Day-Lewis's wife in nine or, um, I mean, she had like four songs in that. She did not have four songs. That's a, that, uh, you know, I I have to just say for the record too that I think that's a slightly weak comparison. Um, I would actually uh, argue that a better comparison in this instance to uh, Claire Foy would be um, another Oscar nominee for a very very similar type of film, and uh, that would be uh, Kathleen Quinlan from uh, Apollo Thirteen. Yeah, I mean that's definitely the most obvious comparison because of you know this whole space thing uh it's been years since i've seen apollo 13 so to speak to the two performances i thought claire foy was great and taking what she had with that character and adding depth that maybe i saw ryan didn't or maybe that's just the way i was looking at the movie you know is she my win no do i think she'll win not really but i think she's certainly good enough for a nomination I agree. And I think there are other outside factors that are going to, you know, help propel her to a nomination as well. Um, And that has to mostly do with other decisions that she's making within her career right now and how high her profile is as an actress. This definitely screams welcome to the club nomination, I I, I would think, for her. And I'm sure she'll be nominated. But it's 2018. And I just think, you know, compared compare her to roles like Michelle Williams in Manchester by the Sea or Amy Adams in The Fighter. And think about the way that those actresses creatively form their characters. And Claire Foy does not do any of that. She's fine. She's good. She's There's nothing wrong with her. But I don't think that this traditional, you know, flat character is the type of per- performance that we should be elevating to the best of the year. And I will agree to disagree because while I think on the page what she's given is exactly what you're describing, I, I, I have to side with Michael where I think that she – does find creative ways to take that very um, uh, bland stereotype, uh, you know, woman worried at home character. And she, I think she elevates it every time she's on screen. I was, I was riveted by her. So we'll we'll see how it all plays out. Obviously it's still the early goings and we'll have, we're going to be talking more about first man in uh, just a moment with uh, some other news that happened this week, but anything else that anybody else wants to touch upon that they saw this week. To to uh, to really uh, make a contrast to all of these Oscar uh, movies that we're talking about, I went to see Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> you you two were two of the few. 
Um, well, I have to say that it's more my type of movie, uh, you know, slightly more than slightly overwritten in a hothouse atmosphere. <laughs> but uh, it, I have to say that I, it's like I can't, I, there were moments in it that's like, I can't believe they're going here. And I do appreciate moments like that, even if they're nuts. <laughs> so, uh, and and uh, to, to see actors like uh, Bridges having such fun uh, was enjoyable to me. I, you know, I'm not going to make a huge case for it as a great film, and I think Act Three is deadly talky. But uh, I have a good time. Uh, do you agree with me that uh, Chris Hemsworth, anytime he's on screen? It's like magic. It, I, I think it diminishes as it goes on. <laughs> oh, okay. You think like they play the trick early, and then once they've played the trick, it kind of loses steam, basically. Well, uh, once he gets once they, he gets everybody in the room for Act Three, it's yap 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 yap. I, I wish shorter. I, I hear what you're saying with that. I, I thought there was an unpredictable element to the character that made the scene very tense. I did, I had no idea what he was going to do. It reminded me a lot of. Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained at the dinner table. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. So, yeah. So I, I thought that point in the movie was very interesting. But yeah, that movie is two hours and 20 minutes long. It's a little Oof. little too long. And yeah, no, thanks. It, it, it screamed to me, um, hey, I want to make my version of Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah, it's it's fine. It's it's not great. Yeah, no, no. I want to uh, comment on some things that I saw uh this week as well i saw um jonah hill's film mid 90s which is releasing uh this weekend that was the surprise screening at nyff and i think it's a well-directed movie by jonah hill and it has some creative choices in there that um i don't know if this is so much him showing his talent for what he knows you know what I mean in terms like because he clearly wrote this from a, a personal uh point of view and you know, it's one of those things where if it's your first film, you want to kind of write what you know and so on and so forth. So I don't know how much that's going to play into f- future films that he directs. But I will say that I think the weakest element of it is the screenplay. There is a lot of non-PC language that even if it was typical for the mid-90s uh, for people to talk the way that they talk in this movie, um, it is very off-putting and very uncomfortable at times when you watch it. And there is a scene um, reminiscent of kind of a, a, a very tense scene in eighth grade um, that did not work here at all. And it was very, like I said, very uncomfortable. And it, it's a flawed movie, but there is something there from Jonah Hill's directing ability that I think could help play in the future, depending on what projects he decides to do. Oh, and Sonny Soljic, the young kid who you all might remember him from Killing of a Sacred Deer. He is fantastic in this, and uh, he's definitely, I think, going to be a huge star someday. Does it have much of a plot? I mean, the vibe from the trailer I got was that it was kind of hangouty. Yeah, it is. All right. It sort of reminds me of, like, Everybody Wants Some. It is. It's set in, like, like the middle school, high school range. It, it, it wants to be kids. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pass on this one, I Immediately, think. Immediately, I don't want to see it at all, no. Yeah. So some people will dig it and a lot of people have dug it. I mean, the reactions at the screening uh, at NYFF were very strong for the film. It got a standing ovation when it was over. But yeah, there was enough there in the screenplay to just make it Did it get a standing ovation because they loved the movie or was Jonah Hill there? I think it was because of Jonah Hill. And I'm saying this because there were so many people that I 
asked around me, um, people sitting in front of me, behind me, to the left, to the right. I asked all of them, oh, what movies have you seen at the festival this week? And they all said, oh, I'm just here to see this. Wow. You know, and, and when I asked them why, they all said, oh, because it's Jonah Hill. All right. Um, okay, so then after that, continuing the NYFF trend for a minute here, uh, the closing night film was At Eternity's Gate, starring Willem Dafoe, directed by Julian Schnabel, and I'm very convinced that this is not going to make a play anymore in the Oscar race. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a little tough to tell when it premiered at Venice, but now that I've seen it at NYFF, I can honestly say things like cinematography, you know, Defoe, I would just take it off the table at this point. It's not a bad movie or anything like that. It's just very kind of average, and it's nothing really totally spectacular. I did see Foreign Language Film Contender. Uh, that's uh, going to be uh, Denmark's entry in the foreign language film race uh, called um, The Guilty. It was a Sundance film. Mm-hmm. If you guys like single uh, location, tense thrillers, things like Phone Booth, Buried, Lock... Um, I highly recommend you check this one out. It's uh, about a emergency services uh, police officer who receives an incoming call about a woman who's been kidnapped, and the whole movie stays with his point of view over the phone trying to help this woman. It's Wait a second. Really Wasn't that a Halle Berry movie from like five years ago? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, last but not least, I saw Can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, which is obviously I think – very much in the Oscar conversation for a lot of key categories this year. Um, everything that we've heard about Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant is 100% true. When they are on screen together, their chemistry is magic. And they deliver, in my opinion, two of the best performances I've seen this year, especially Richard E. Grant. Um, he is so, 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 so firmly getting that Best Supporting Actor nomination, I think, for this. I think he might be able to win it if he like. I do, too, actually. Me too. I, 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 I'm about to move him into my winner spot. Yeah, he's definitely in the top three. I would say, as as of this moment. Um, and McCarthy is so in the hunt for uh, Best Actress. The only thing that could potentially derail the film, and a lot of people brought this up to me after I saw the screening, because a lot of people commented on uh, my reactions to it. They all said, where is the buzz for this movie? Why is nobody talking about it? How is it going to do at the box office? Really? I, I feel like everyone's talking about it. So do I. Yeah. They are. Well, maybe people in the Oscar punditry world, but... In the real world. Well, it opens well, they need Friday, to do a better so job of marketing. Well and does well in expansion. I think you'll be hearing a different tune. I will say this. Um, let's all pay attention this upcoming spring to whatever trailers uh, Fox Searchlight decides to put out there <laughs> yeah. nine months in advance. Because they did the same thing with three billboards. And then they did it this year with Can You Ever Forgive Me? And I think there is maybe some sort of a trend where they have confidence in um, that fall October release Oscar contender that they released a trailer so, so early to help drive that buzz. And I could totally see why with this. It is one of the best paced films I've seen this year. It just flows effortlessly by. It's very engaging. It's also very melancholy and very sad, too. I wasn't expecting it to be um, so grim, but not in a heavy way, just more in a sad way for its protagonist, um, who... McCarthy is just uh, if 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 all if all anyone knows her for is her comedic work, um, this this movie should help convince people that she is a very very versatile actress and that it's it's just it, and it's not so much like 
Bill Murray going from comedy to drama for Lost in Translation, or even when Jim Carrey did it for uh, The Truman Show. Like, I thought this was a very fully transformative role for her, where I felt like I did not see any aspect of her personality whatsoever on the screen. I could totally see her and Richard E. Grant just killing it on the campaign trail and just charming everybody, like, all the time. I was reading about a screening that happened the other night where... Uh, there was a Q&A afterwards and McCarthy was just saying these wonderful things about Richard E. Grant. And then at the end, he just handed her a huge wad of cash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, this movie was written by Nicole Holofsner, who is one of my favorite writer-directors today. Uh, she was actually supposed to direct it at first. And instead of Melissa McCarthy, it was uh, supposed to start Julianne Moore. Whoa. Well, and that was going to be her follow-up after winning the Oscar for Still Alice. So I think just things got lost in the shuffle. They had to push it back for various reasons. And it sounds like it really paid off having uh, Holofsner keep the screenplay, Marielle Heller direct, and then putting Melissa McCarthy in. It seems like it really is this big crowd pleaser. And Matt, everything that you said like is making me so excited. I feel like this is a film that um, a, a lot of people are really going to take to and love. And I feel like I'm going to be one of them. Yes. Now, I will say this. I did receive a question um, before last week's episode on Twitter from Matthew Silverman. Um, I didn't want to answer it last week because I knew I was seeing Can You Ever Forgive Me uh, for this for this episode. So I decided to hold off until now. He brought up a couple of points that I think are very interesting. Um, Can You Ever Forgive Me is one of the very few films in the Oscar conversation right now that is directed by a woman. Um, and it's one of those movies that obviously is generating a lot of great buzz. It's currently well-reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. It's done well at the festival circuit. And he's wondering a lot about Marielle Heller's chances in Best Director and why there is a lack of conversation this year um, for other female-directed films, such as uh, Mary Queen of Scots, uh, Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace, and a slew of others as well. And I wanted to open up that conversation to hear everyone's thoughts on that. I think if there is going to be somebody, it will be her. But I, I don't know. I just feel like the director race is really stacked with director um, uh, favored films like First Man and um, A Star is Born and Black Klansman. I just I think maybe the topic of her film isn't necessarily one that the director's branch is um, as open to as others. Now, I think like there's two things here at play. Um, I think that there's two types of movies I feel like that usually get into the best director race you either have to be beloved in that you're my number one favorite movie of the year passionate support like Lady Bird or you need to be the technical showstopper like The Hurt Locker and I think that is what the best director race I feel like in their kind of narrow point of view mind is what they typically go for um, when it comes to that category. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I think, I think that they're looking for the showy elements, but I also think when people point to Greta Gerwig uh, nomination saying a woman can do it. Yes, but she was a name. She was a celebrity and, and it was a familiar name. Uh, the only female director, I think in this, in this, possibility and it's not an oscar possibility but i think the only one that's really known is ava duvernay and she ain't going to get in for a wrinkle of time um i think that it has i think mariel heller's chances ride on how that the the movie really becomes a critical juggernaut and then people will get to know her but they still don't and you see her name and i don't know whether people may yet associate it with can you ever forgive me 
So uh, then it brings up another interesting question as well that has crossed my mind. Is it so much the quality of the film itself, like I said, either that technical showstopper or that passionately beloved film, or is it more so that we, on the show, for example, we just need to be better advocates? That's the thing. I was, was going to say, this time last year, was anybody predicting Greta to get in? I, I, I was. certainly wasn't. You were? Okay. I was. No, I actually wasn't, but I was predicting the film to get in for picture and her for Me screenplay. Too. So I figure, I mean, you just got to keep the buzz going. I mean, the little we can. Yeah, I mean, if you're really passionate about something, and this is something that I've kind of been banging the drum for with films like Widows and Tony Collette and Hereditary, even if everybody's telling you it's not an Oscar movie and they're trying to use their, you know, like the history, so to speak, of what the Academy has gone for in the past, I think we're now in a point where with so many new Academy members, I think it's okay to go out on a limb for these more risky types of nominations that typically you would think, oh, they normally wouldn't go for this because until the nominations come out this year with almost 2000 new members, we really don't know what they're going to do. It's just, it's important that they vote. I'm just hoping they vote. Oh, well, isn't that a major theme for the country right now? Just get out there and vote. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Um, okay, so now tying um, all of this in together right now, um, I also wanted to talk uh, this week about what's been going on at Annapurna. Uh, Annapurna has been having a very, very crazy uh, week right now. And I say this because a lot of their major titles for next year uh, were actually – handed off their movie fair and balanced uh was uh currently something that was supposed to be coming out next year is currently up in the air uh nobody knows what's really going on with that film anymore um they've had a slew of critical uh, critical favorites but financial disasters with movies like detroit uh the sisters brothers which is a film that cost 40 million dollars um it's barely grossing it just hit one million. Oof. yeah Oh, no, this is like the end. I, I was waiting for this movie to expand. It's been out for like three weeks. They put it out in 129 theaters, this largest expansion this weekend, and it only brought its total up to one million. It's done. This is this is it's all timer. And Annapurna has been a studio that has made a, a slew of favorites in recent years, uh, such as Zero Dark Dirty, American Hustle, Her. Um, this year, they have If Beale Street Could Talk, they have Vice, they have Destroyer. And these are all films that are mid-budget adult films, like the kind of films that, quite frankly, I love seeing in the Oscar race, and I just love seeing in general. And to have this many financial failures in a row, and to hear some of the word that's been coming out about uh, Megan Ellison, who is the head of the company, and how she's very hands-on, hands-off, and they recently also... um, it, it looks like also too the uh, the company's film production president Chelsea Barnard was either fired or outed, uh, whatever the case may be. She might have resigned. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. A combination of all of these letting these other films go, that hearing about Megan Ellison and what she's been doing with the company, it, it calls into question right now if a film studio is capable in this day and age of producing these kinds of films for the big screen anymore, and. I want to just tie this also into what's going on with First Man, because that's another movie that reportedly, I think the budget was something around, what, $60 million? $40 million? 
for Vice, yeah. It was like 59. Exactly. And that movie is looking to break, I think, only $16 million this weekend, despite Ryan Gosling attached to star, Damien Chazelle, Oscar winner for La La Land. Uh, it's a space movie. You know, those typically tend to do well at the box office. And it's a historic movie. I mean, like, this is Neil Armstrong. Everybody knows his name. Everybody knows what he did. I mean, like, this should be – and plus it's, like, pro-America. Like, I mean, it's just – it's boggling my mind that – or maybe it was just poorly released after Venom and A Star is Born. I don't know. I think what that's what it was. I think – I do too. Your because- R-rated films that attract, like, you know, adult audiences, there's only room for one at the time. And right now, it's A Star is Born. And even though A First Man is failing, A Star is Born had like a budget of like $35 million, I think. And it's doing great. So Yeah, I mean, that's about to hit 100 domestic. And but here's the thing, though. Is, is, a Star is, Born, uh, is, is a, I think A Star is Born is an anomaly, though. I really do. Well, that's a film that has so much hype around it and it's attracting all types of audiences. But when you look at this type of scenario, you have to go back, I would say, five years. And it's really the same weekend, early October, Five years ago, in 2013, you had Gravity opening opening the first weekend of October and Captain Phillips the second weekend. And there was room for both. They both did incredibly, incredibly well. So why then the again, a lot of time has passed since then. And, you know, you have the rise of Netflix and streaming at home. So, you know, adults who go to the movies might not want to go out to see both. They might say, oh, there's one movie. Let's go pick between First Man and A Star is Born. And the other thing we'll watch on Netflix whenever it comes on. You didn't have that luxury five years ago. I yeah. think that's reasonable, but I um I, I just you know, so why, I, I almost even went to see A Star Is Born for a third time before I seeing First Man for a first time. So I just think that there's so much excitement around A Star Is Born where, if you see First Man, you see the trailers, it looks kind of it looks very stationary, standard, whatever compared to it's a Lady Gaga concert meets love a Titanic love story. I mean, I don't know. So now the big question becomes this. And this is a question that Will Mavity asked in his article uh, this week. Is mid-budget filmmaking for adults, is it slowly dying off and moving over to television? Yes, it is. And yeah. I think that's very clear with like the Netflix film that came out last week, Private Life. That is a movie that five years ago would have been released under Sony Pictures Classics, would have gotten an original screenplay nomination, and could have left the art houses with like $15, $20 million dollars. That doesn't happen today. If that came out through Annapurna, it would barely crack a million. So. And, the, and the, uh, the talent that made those kinds of films have now moved to television. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned that, and then a very similar film, The Land of Steady Habits, Nicole Holofsner's movie. That's another one that's over on Netflix. You're slowly seeing these adult, mid-level films go away from the theaters. And while that's sad, it also... I would say is a good thing because it makes it more accessible around the world. You know, no more waiting three weeks for it to show up in your area. Once it comes out, everyone sees it on the same day. Uh, Number one, I just want to also point out there because it released this week is Paul Greengrass's film July 22nd. That was also released on Netflix. And if that had released in theaters, it would have tanked. Oh, yeah. Like, and I'm I'm sorry, that movie would have bombed. So there is definitely something there for sure, but... I then look at I then look at the fact that there's so much buzz around something like Vice. Now, do I think it's gonna make a hundred million dollars considering its budget is sixty million? <sighs> I don't know. But it's gonna be hard. Yeah. People yeah. are not gonna go see a movie about Dick Cheney. <sighs> I just I mean, can't imagine that. Like 
Vice to me um, and uh, is, has a very similar tone in its trailer, and maybe it's because it's Christian Bale and Amy Adams, but it reminds me of American Hustle, which is also in Inferno, which did make a lot of money. Um, I don't, I, but having the budget set at what, what was it, sixty for Vice? Yeah, ridiculous. That could have been insane. Thirty, forty. Like, I mean, whatever. It costs more than Lincoln. And one of the arguments that Will Mabity made um, for a studio like A24 and why they've been able to do so well is because they keep their budgets relatively low, mm-hmm. like in the $10 million range. They did well when they were uh, a production company, not distributors. I mean, Ryan mentioned American Hustle. That's a movie that worldwide did $251 million, which is amazing. Right. And that was, a bit, again, that was five years ago at a time when people were going to go to the movie theaters to see all these big stars and they were hungry for adult stories. If that comes out today, I'm sure it still does well, but mm-hmm. well, you know, they just American hustle had a secret weapon of Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. And American That's hustle real. and American hustle looked a lot more fun in the trailers than vice does. Well, speaking of a movie that audiences are going to go see in the movie theater, whatever, whatever you think about it or not, we got the first teaser this week for Guy Ritchie's, Disney live-action remake of Aladdin. Let's take a look at that trailer and let's get our thoughts. It is a teaser. <laughs> uh, I I just want to like get some comments here on what everyone thinks about Guy Ritchie, the guy who's given us Snatch, the man from Uncle, oh God, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Like, what's everyone's thoughts on him taking this beloved Disney animated classic? And we all know Guy Ritchie has a style, like. How is all this going to... I still don't know how this is all going to come together. I really don't. <laughs> I am not a Guy Ritchie fan. I don't even like his Sherlock Holmes movies. You know? I mean, I, you, I, he, he really thrived in a, in a lower-budget Jason Statham kind of world. And and this just looks, to me, terrible. Uh, it, the, the CGI looks tacky. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and then all of a sudden they plunk Amina Masood at the end, lifting up the lamp, and it looks like he's in the midst of a cartoon. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I hated this teaser. I hated it. I mean, the original is so colorful and sharp and distinct, and this just looks like mud. It looks awful, yeah. and it followed the exact same. Uh, pattern as the teaser for the live action Beauty and the Beast, you know, it was some location shots with an instrumental of a famous song from the original movie and then ended with a character approaching a prop from the foreground. That's a really good point there, Cody, and it seems like that similar uh, marketing trajectory is what they're going to probably follow with this and I have no doubt that despite anything that we say now or when the full trailer gets released and we see more of the look and what Guy Ritchie is going for with this, 
it's going to make money despite itself. Oh, yeah. For sure. Nothing we say here will affect that. No, not at all. And, you know, there are some elements people pointed out online. This is, um, you know, quote-unquote street rat running from the palace guards through the streets of Agrabah. And Guy Ritchie can shoot that and film that in a very exciting way. And I have no doubt about those elements. And maybe that is why he was chosen for this project. Maybe. But, you know, it's interesting they hid Will Smith. Yeah. You know, I was hoping that was going to be maybe at the tail end of the teaser. We could get some sort of a tease. Maybe there's a visual effects element that's not finished yet. Mm, Maybe. But um, I'm very, very surprised that they did not at least hint about it in any sort of way. And it kind of makes me wonder, are they doing that to avoid any kind of backlash or something along those lines? I mean, what Robin Williams did with the genie is so iconic. There there were people to this day. That was worthy of a supporting actor nomination. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Like, how many voiceover performances would we say we would give Oscars to? You know what I mean? It's like him and Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen for and the, Nemo. Yeah. I would also make an argument for Eddie Murphy and Shrek, but that's just me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's oh, okay. Yes. But uh, you know what? I, I did not hate this trailer. I really liked the original Aladdin. But I also speak as someone who, for the most part, has really liked these live-action remakes of animated Disney films. So I know Guy Ritchie isn't my favorite type of director, but I'm at least interested in seeing what he's going to do here. I'm also interested in hearing what these new songs are, because even though we have an Aladdin musical running on Broadway right now that had some new songs, the new songs for this film are actually written by Pasek and Paul. Now that's going to be interesting, too. Yeah. So having them work with Alan Menken, maybe there's something good to come out of that. Uh, Will Smith as the genie, fine, but I mean, nothing's ever going to top Robin Williams. So I'm not ready to say this is some disaster. It's going to make money. And it's one of three. Uh, is it? No, I think more than three. There's next year we get Dumbo, Aladdin, The Lion King and Lady and the Tramp. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you go cry at Midnight Special again, okay? That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy that. That's just how it works. (laughs) Well, speaking of everything happening all at once, um, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences have announced that uh, for the first time ever, all nine of their short lists, okay? So this is foreign language film, animated short, documentary feature, documentary short, live action short, makeup and hairstyling, visual effects, score, and original song. <laughs> Instead of releasing the shortlist for these categories, 
uh, separate of one another across uh, different days, they are all going to be announced on the same day, December 17th. Mark your freaking calendars, people. That is going to be some day. <laughs> it's Christmas part one. Oh, my God. I, I mean, this is going to be very interesting because some of these categories, we've never gotten any kind of a shortlist uh, before. Like original score, for example. Could this open up a, an avenue when um, they have a bake-off and these um, composers and people associated with the film have to make a stance and an argument for why uh, p- people, Academy members, should consider their score for a nomination? Do we think that that could yield some interesting results this year that maybe in the past um, typically didn't happen? Um, I think it might be uh, harder for movies to kind of get just name-checked in because people are voting for them in a lot of other categories. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think we could get. I think we could end up with maybe a more distinct list of nominees this year. Exactly. Yeah, and vision and the visual effects bake off in past years has produced some a few unusual nominees, which oh, is yeah. I'm very very hopeful that it might be able to do that, particularly in song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we did get uh, we have gotten a song shortlist before, uh, though. Same thing with makeup and hairstyling. Well, the song list is usually a long list, right? Yeah, a very long list. <laughs> Hundreds of <songs>. exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be a day. I'm going to have to block out my entire day for that one. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, to, to our audience, don't miss that week's podcast. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, my lord. Yes. <laughs> All right, and so um, speaking of which, a tradition here on the podcast is we actually uh, go over the polls, and uh, last week's poll here on the podcast pertain to First Man, uh, which was starring Ryan Gosling. And last week we asked everyone which is their favorite Ryan Gosling performance. So I want to go around the horn here. I want to ask everyone what their favorite is. Let's start off with Ryan. Favorite Ryan Gosling performance, and what do you think won the poll? Um, I Like I said last week, um, my favorite performance of his is Half Nelson, and I think Drive won the poll. Michael? Well, last week when you asked this question, I said my favorite performance was La La Land, but that has since changed. I think First Man is his best work. Wow. Uh, what do I think won this poll? Uh, I guess Drive. Okay. Tom? I, I would not say this is my uh, I, his best performance, but one performance of his that I hold dear to my heart is The Nice Guys. I love his performance in The Nice Guys. It's so funny. It's so funny, and it's so physical. I really it, but I I, I don't think that's going to win the poll. I suspect it'll be La La Land. Okay, Cody. I really think nothing he's done is quite like his performance in Lars and the Real Girl, um, but I think it's going to be Drive. Just knowing the internet. And uh, my favorite Ryan Gosling performance is The Nice Guys, and I know the winner of the poll, so let's get to it. In fifth place, we have a tie. With 32 votes each, La La Land and Lars in The Real Girl. Oh, wow. In fourth place, with 33 votes, is The Nice Guys. In third place, with 34 votes, is Blue Valentine. In second place, with 35 votes, is Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah. And in first place, with 51 votes, is Drive. Yeah. Now, if anybody can do tough guy stoic in today's modern era, it is Ryan Gosling. <laughs> oh, man. But I I have to say, Michael, um, first man, even though it didn't place in the uh, top five, I think a large part of that is just because not, not enough people have seen it. But I do echo what you say in that I do think it's one of his when it comes to tough guy stoicism I think it is 
probably his best because he's trying so, so hard to hold back that vulnerability that when it does come through, it's all the more powerful, I feel like. There is a scene in the movie when he's answering the phone and holding a glass. Yeah. That is just absolutely incredible. That's the moment where I thought this is just some of his best work. Well, um, and, you know, he has a what he does in that movie is the way he constructs his character's arc. I don't think that you really see the beauty of his work until the the last third, or at least I didn't. I saw it first man twice. And, you know, uh, it goes along just fine, the first two acts. But then to really see where he's going with the performance, I don't think crystallizes until the third act. And then it's like, wow. That's the big payoff, but I really did good. love some of the moments that came before that as well. Um, but like, I'm, I'm disappointed that the only performance he's actually been nominated for, Half Nelson, was not um, even in the top five. So shame on you. Well, he was nominated for La La Land. Oh, and La La Land. I forget about that. God. <laughs> <laughs> the second best. Okay, now moving over to uh, this week's poll. Uh, Halloween, the sequel to Halloween, titled Halloween, I don't know, I've lost count at this point, uh, is coming out this weekend. It is a directed by David Gordon Green, and that is the theme for this week's poll. We are asking everyone, which is their favorite horror movie musical score? lot of great choices to choose from here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure opinions will be all over the place. Let's start off with uh, Michael. <laughs> I'm sure, I, I, I mean, Michael, I, I'm sure you have a favorite, right? Let me abstain for the moment and pass it off to one of our experts on the panel. All right, all right. Fair enough. Cody, you are the horror movie expert. Uh, what would you say is your favorite? Oh, thank you. Um, I mean, it's obvious. It's got to be Halloween. It's it's It makes the movie. And I think, I mean, obviously all scary movies rely heavily on their score to make the scares actually effective. But I just rewatched this the other day, and it's incredible. It still gets me, just the use of the stings and motifs. It's, it's unbelievable. And John Carpenter is returning to score David Gordon Green's version of Halloween this weekend, hence what inspired uh, this poll. And you know, it's a long shot, but I would I would love to see him get in on a kind of Ennio Morricone uh, veteran nomination, if nothing else. But I'm sure also the work itself will be very worthy. And Ryan, I'm sure you have strong feelings on the matter. What do you think? I do. Um, my uh, I, I agree with everything Cody said. I actually think Halloween it has one of the greatest um, scores ever in um, movie history. Um, I think Psycho also does. And um, I, I love the scores from the Scream trilogy, which are also an option on the poll. So those would be the three that I would really um, put out in front. Um, but I, a Halloween is just far and above beyond anything. Tom? I was looking for something besides Halloween because it is the best. And so I was I was leaning towards Bernard Herrmann's work in Psycho. But then yesterday I saw the Halloween the new Halloween trailer. And as soon as those first notes come on from the old, that old theme, it was like, oh, okay, there's no question <laughs> in Halloween. I'm going to just go with um, something that I know is not going to win the poll. And I don't even think it is my favorite, but with so many choices here, I just want to give a little bit of love to that theme from Saw that plays at the end of every movie when the twist reveals itself. Oh, I love itself. that theme. Nice pick. I, I just I, I don't know what it is, but I really, really, really dig the way that that music um, 
always is utilized to unveil the twist at the end of every movie and the way they edit the sequence and the reveal to it. I, I think it works extremely well. And like I said, I know it's not going to win, but I-, I figured I'd throw it a little bit of love. Yeah, it starts Ooh. to become like a trigger as the series goes on because by the fifth or sixth one, when that music kicks in, you're like, here we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no one has mentioned um, Alien, which also is made by its score. Yeah. So. All right, I am looking at the list and saw uh, two options that I could get on board with, and those are Jaws and Silence of the Lambs. Okay. All right. Hey, we, we got Michael there, people. I can't say Halloween. I have never seen Halloween. I really don't really – I don't know the score off the top of my head, though. I'm sure I've heard it parodied somewhere or used in some montage at some time. Do you think you might go see the new one? You, you know, it has good reviews. I, I doubt it. I really It don't. stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael. And I'm glad she's getting work. <laughs> She's not just getting worse. She's picking ass. Uh, All right. Enough picking on Michael. Let's move over now to our uh, final poll result. It's the middle of the month. So we are now about to unveil what is going to be our um, influence for the throwback review for November. So this is, remember, um, movies that are coming out in November. And the list was Boy Erased, The Favorite, The Front Runner, Green Book, If Beale Street Could Talk, and Widows. So one of these films is going to influence another poll of nominations, uh, or options rather, of films that were not nominated for Best Picture, which we will review on the podcast in November. So tallying these up in last place is The Front Runner with 14 votes. Next up is Green Book with 20 votes. Boy Erased with 23 votes. Followed by Widows in third place with 40 votes. In second place is If Beale Street Could Talk with 41 votes, leaving a huge lead for The Favorite with 89 votes. Wow. This was difficult, I'm not going to lie, trying to find films that were somehow related to the favorite that were not nominated for Best Picture that we could put up for a poll for everyone to choose for for our next throwback review. And we we did the best that we could with this one. There are five films. I'm going to read them off to you all. And if you guys can't figure out how these are somehow related to the favorite in some way, feel free to ask. <laughs> all right. First choice, Bridesmaids. Okay. <laughs> Funny. Second choice, Dogtooth. Third choice, Heathers. Hmm. Fourth choice, Jane Eyre, the the Corey Fukunaga uh, version. Mm-hmm. And in fifth place, or f- the fifth choice, the other Boylan girl. All right, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone have a preference for what they would like the, you know, fans to choose for the for the throwback review? I think it would be fun to talk about bridesmaids. Yeah, I Heathers. <laughs> Bridesmaids is my favorite comedy of this of the decade so far, so I got to vote for Bridesmaids. I would personally love, 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 love to talk about Heifers. Yay! And that's so like I don't know that that's more favorite to me than Bridesmaids. Well, Bridesmaids does feature two women competing for the favor of Maya Rudolph. Exactly. Mm. And it's totally um, Heather's makes more sense for the favorite, but the bridesmaids would be a nice option too. It would be fun to hear a bridesmaids option, uh, but I think the diabolicalness of of Heather's seems to be a little closer to the favorite. Agreed. All right. 
trailer, second trailer for the episode. We finally got a full-length trailer. We didn't review the teaser because there really wasn't much about the teaser to tell us other than it was starring a kid named Ben and he was back. So we now have a full-length trailer for Ben is Back. Let's take a look. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Hi, Mom. I see you, is it you? Is that Ben? Did you see? He's gained some weight and he's got the sparkle back in his eyes. He's clearly doing better. Well, then why are you hiding everything? We said we weren't going to do this again, remember? I agree that if it weren't Christmas, you get a day. This time tomorrow, you are back in sober living. Yeah, okay. You do not leave my sight ever. Because for the next 24 hours, you are mine, all mine. Got it? I got it. He burns. I thought you were dead. I put my family in danger. This is on you. If I don't deal with this, then it could be worse next time. Okay. You go in, pay the man, and get right back out. Lock the door. <sighs> Just be calm. <sighs> I can't be calm. You need to go home. If you really knew me, you'd be done with me. I know you. No. I know you. You don't, Mom. You don't know me. Unlock the door, Ben, right now. I told you not to believe me, and you didn't listen. Ben! All I need is for you to do me just one more little thing. I'm looking for my son. I can tell there's something wrong. You need to come home. Not without Ben. I just need you to please and find my son! The things that I've done to myself and others. We can't save them, but you'll hate yourself if you don't try. Just tell me, son, where you want me to bury you. I'm not going to die. Anyways, here I am, still here. So thank you. Thank you for... Well, his name is Ben, and he is back. Back with me. I think this looks really good. Uh, you, Michael, you think it looks really good, huh? I do. I think Julia Roberts and Lucas Hedges look really exceptional here. I've been saying she could break into a Best Actress race somewhere, maybe not the Oscars, but maybe at the Golden Globe or the SAG. Awards. I think and, that makes a lot of sense. And just seeing this trailer, I, I, I'm very impressed with what I'm seeing here. She looks better here than... I don't know the last time she looked this good, even better than August S.H. County, I would say. Well, I think this trailer, um, in terms of um, Julia Roberts, it shows her best and worst qualities as an actress. Like, it has that, you know, she's great at bringing, like, intense emotion and um, just uh, bringing down the house and with, like, her professionalism. I think that's really there. But whenever her weak, her weak spots as an actress are, are she has a, she can overdo it, she can overact, and whenever she's not working with good material, you can feel her desperation to work through the material. And I felt that in, in this trailer. It seemed like a much more substantive role in the, in the, uh, in the official trailer. The teaser looked like it just might be ma- a mom part, but it looks like she has drive in this. And uh, I, I, think, I think your thoughts on a, a Globe nomination are pretty good. Based on the trailer, I can totally see her getting into that kind of odd lead actress SAG slot a la Emily Blunt or Sarah Silverman. It just seems 
right up their alley for that type of nomination. Yeah, uh, the the trailer's tone was definitely not what I was expecting and kind of was a little all over the place for me in many ways. But me too. I'm glad to see that Lucas Hedges continues to pick interesting projects. And I think that he continues to be one of our most exciting actors uh, working today. And um, I'm echoing what everyone else is saying here as well. I'm just really happy to see Julia Roberts um, continuing, might I add, because she was great in wonder last year. And Mm -hmm. I think that she should have been more in the best supporting actress uh, race for that. She's continuing to pick projects that um, at this stage in her career are highlighting her best uh, assets. And I think she's become an even better actress um, today than she was during the time when she was the queen of Hollywood. I don't know about that. I think her early work is really great, but something that will help her too is um, homecoming her Amazon show is um premiering in two weeks oh yeah that's a good point that could help and she that looks phenomenal yeah so either way i i you know while a lot of us may not have her in the actual oscar five um i think that there is some damage to be done here in the award season by miss roberts and i do think that uh we'll see her name pop up especially with the reviews that the film got out of tiff for her. Well, but Matt, I, for the film itself, I'm glad that you uh, mentioned that tonally it didn't really um, synchronize. Yeah. It was all, there were like, I felt like there were three different movies in that one trailer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's partly why I, I don't have a lot of confidence. No. And I think that's why a lot of us have maybe settled on the golden globe sag. Hell, hell, maybe even BAFTA. I don't know. Combination. Mm, yes. I'm just saying, you know, Not bad, maybe, maybe either way, uh, let's answer now some fan questions for this week and let's get on out of here. We talked a little bit earlier about first man. We talked a little bit about its box office. Kevin Jacobson is asking all of us, will the disappointing box office for first man affect its Oscar chances? Um, I said this on the review for the, uh, for the movie that we did on the podcast. I think this is anywhere from a six to nine, nomination movie no matter what I, I agree with that i'm just trying to get it down to that point i was at 12 earlier in the week and now i'm at 11 because i took it out of screenplay and i agree that after the box office uh this weekend which wasn't horrific it just was sort of disappointing considering what it could have been i think this is still a movie that we see in picture uh maybe the acting categories director and definitely in tech so it's just a matter of bringing it down from that number that we thought would be so high at one point. See, I, I have been missing Gosling. I have been missing screenplay, production design, cinematography, visual okay, effects. Okay, see, I still have it in the visual effects, production design, and cinematography. So maybe mm. that's why. Yeah. I have it at eight, and I think eight seems like a good number. for That, that does seem like a good number. It's just yes. um, like when you're ready to move it out. I, I think you're thinking ahead of the game there, Ryan. But I but I don't think that this is heading in the trajectory of something like Steve Jobs. No, it could be better. It could have made a play in things like editing, cinematography, score, and it only ended up with two nominations on the day. Yep. Yeah. I mean, on its very worst nomination morning, it gets four easily. Yeah. Editing, score, both sounds. Yep. 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 Totally agree. uh, It may may just be uh, uh, history here, but. the right stuff had a real bomb first week as well. And granted, you know, we're talking about adjusted figures, but its total box office is, was only about $21 million. And it won four Oscars. But similarly, it missed director, right? 
It did, yeah. Which is what I'm kind of worried about with First Man. I have to agree because one of the things that I always think of now when it comes to Damien Chazelle is I think about how much he is, I think, a new coming of Steven Spielberg in many ways. And what I mean by that is I think he's a type of director at this point that can change his style film to film, but his main focus is storytelling. And I think that the Academy will always kind of respond in some sort of a way to his films. And he'll always, every time he comes out with a new movie, be somewhat in the conversation. Um, But that doesn't mean he gets nominated for Best Director every single time. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think the film is in the Best Picture conversation, even if it's not in the top three or four anymore. Oh, there are people who love this movie. Right, and I I think that might be enough to push him into director. Yeah, I think he'll, you know, you know who he reminds me of in um, director? I don't know why, because the films are polar opposite, but like Tom um, Hopper for the uh, for Les Mis. Tom Hopper? I don't know why. Yeah. Like he's in the conversation. Some people really think that he's out in front, but then at the last minute, he misses. Mm. Okay. And and you know what? Uh, the follow It's the follow-up film, too, to an Oscar-winning, uh, you know, best director, best... Exactly, yeah. Exactly. I was about best to say best meant. picture, but oh, yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. This one comes from Out Film Guy 619. Which actress that received her sole nomination in 2009 is more likely to get their second nomination this year? Carrie Mulligan for Wildlife or Maggie Joan Hall for The Kindergarten Teacher? <laughs> neither. Uh, neither. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. It's IFC or Netflix. I know. And I, I'm, I was banging the drum hard for Carrie Mulligan since I saw the film back at Sundance, and I have to conclude now that I think her chances are pretty much over because there is no buzz for that movie whatsoever between the two it's got to be her though if anybody else i guess of the two gun to the head yeah yeah i mean maggie gyllenhaal uh, has received nice notices for it but god i mean netflix has so many other horses in the race i can't imagine that this is going to be the one that's going to stand out uh okay next question here comes from david mitchell baker he wants to know, continuing on from last week's conversation, do you think the days of a film sweeping the Oscars is over? As in, winning the majority of the categories it's nominated for, taking screenplay, acting, director, picture, it seems to me like the artist uh, would be considered our last sweep winner. I don't think it's like done for good. I just think we've had so many strong years lately where they want to spread the wealth that one day you're going to see one of those weak years where they only have like eight best picture nominees or maybe even less than that. And there's one title that sweeps through it. We all thought La La Land was going to do it a couple exactly. of years ago. I also want to point out too, that like people got to remember that gravity was so close. And if it had one best picture, it would be an eight Academy award winning film. <laughs> right. And we saw that with Slumdog Millionaire, which I think also took home eight. Took yep. home eight. La La Land would have been seven. I mean, that exactly. Was that a nomination, so it would have been half. I don't think that the days are done. I just think that um, I, I agree that there's a spread the wealth uh, mentality. Like, you know, it's interesting to think that, like, if this were the 90s, even I feel like Shape of Water would have taken more than just four. Yeah, I, I could see it. Um, like, but, like I feel like Sally could have also have won maybe oh, the sure, screenplay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, but like we could, we could. I mean, A Star Is Born could even win over half of the. Um, oh, A Star Is Born is like I was saying. I think last week, and I think that's what prompted this uh, this question. Star Is Born is like in the top three for every single category it's being con- considered for. I mean, it, I mean, it could win. I mean, it's probably going to win actor. 
probably actress, sound, and song. There's four right off the bat. I mean, it doesn't take much more to get over five and to get into six or seven. And, I mean, we could see a mini sweep, if not a full-on sweep. Yeah, I've got a winning three acting awards until proven otherwise. Wow. I'm yep. Uh, that's a that's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question here. This one comes from uh, Sarah at Cinematic Film on Twitter. What are some of the most overrated and overhyped Oscar nominated films of all time? So are you talking like Best Picture nominated films? Uh, you know what? This is such a wide ranging question. Uh, let's stick with Best Picture. Yeah. Mm. What, what is something that you would say is overhyped or overrated that got a Best Picture nomination? The English Patient. Yep. Ooh, oh, I, I love like the English, English Patient. patient. Uh, I think it's the worst Best Picture of the 90s. Oh, yeah. my God. we got a bunch of Elaine Bennis's on this show. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's very interesting because I think a lot of people would say Braveheart is the worst of the 90s. Yeah, I don't like Braveheart. Braveheart's so great. No, it's I, great. I, I like Braveheart. You too. I, I like all of those films. <laughs> Wait, so we're talking nominees too, not just winners? Yeah, why not? Let's just open it up. Okay, I'm going through the decade here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Slumdog and Gladiator are my two that I'm like, eh. Oh, wow. I don't like Gladiator either. No. Nominations. I don't like Inception so much. I'm going to say A Beautiful Mind. Ooh. That's that's just, you know, sort of middle of the road. It's okay, but it had no business winning. Listen, I think Russell Crowe should have won Best Actor that year, personally. Um, But do I think it should have got Best Picture or Best Director? Uh, that's debatable. Jennifer Connelly in the screenplay, I'm okay with. Yeah. Honey, Neverland is sort of weak. Yeah. Yeah, it's same year as Gladiator. Oh, Shock a Lot. No. But yeah, Shock a Lot's not very good Shock-a-Lot's either. Shock a Lot's a good movie. It's, it's fine. fine. Yeah. Um, I like it. I don't know. Um, this is probably going to be unpopular, but I really can't stand Hugo. Oof. Yeah, I don't oh, like it either. I, I like Hugo. I thought it was boring. See, now, I like Hugo um, for its... I just I, I like movies that pay homage to cinema. I really do. And it's so funny because I actually think the artist is overrated. Um, I've rewatched it twice since 2011 and both times I've watched it. I find it to just be very shallow, very surface level. And I just feel like that was a year where they felt like they didn't have any other strong alternatives. So they went with that. And what's even funnier is that. I guess it could be technically considered the fourth remake of A Star Is Born before the Bradley Cooper version came along. <laughs> so, I, uh, you know. If we had more time to think on this, I'm sure I could come up with more creative answers than just the past 20 years. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, there's some clunkers in there, to be certain. Last question. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately. And it actually kind of came back up again when I recently posted some of my Golden Globe early predictions. Ben Locker 99 asks, what do you all think about Black Klansman's Oscar chances for nominations and wins? I currently have it in for three nominations. Those are picture, director, and screenplay. But let me tell you, I am very, very close, if I take Ryan Gosling out, to putting John David Washington in the five. You know, I've heard that from a lot of people, and I don't really, I mean, no one's really talking about him. I mean, he's not something that out of the film that people talk about. It's Spike Lee, it's his directing, his writing, and his his creative twist on on the story. I don't no, I thought he just had such charisma, and it was a breakout performance. I, I think if they sit down and watch the film, 
he's going to be something that they take away from it if they don't go for one of the Lucas Hedges performances or Willem Dafoe, Rami Malek, Ethan Hawke. You know, he could sort of break through if they really like the movie. Yeah, the last two slots are kind of up in the air right now. Yeah, well, I, I think I think the key phrase that you had said is if they sit down and watch the film. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to sit down and watch it, and I think anyone that does sit down and watch it, I think that the ending, especially to the movie, is so undeniable in the passion that it will ignite in people to want to put it in for best picture, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. I think adapted screenplay, it's still my winner in adapted screenplay at the moment. Yeah. Um, and Spike Lee, I think, because he is campaigning this year, unlike other years before, and he's actually, I don't want to say behaving, but he's playing the game this year, unlike previous years. Um, I think that he or his PR people are doing a really great job at, you know, making it seem like he really, really wants to be in that that nominee uh, selection. And for the life of me, you know, with so many um, previous winners um, in the Best Director conversation and with Bradley Cooper being uh, a newbie to the race, there is a world, okay, where Spike could possibly, maybe, do it in Director. Mm. Yeah. Well, I can I can we just bring up one one more thing about Washington? Sure. He would. He's the only um, like real like top ten contender who would be a um, a man of color for the lead actor race. And you can't say that about any other of the three of the four races. Every everyone else has like at least two or three um, people of color contending. Um, lead actor is pretty white. That's a really, really good point. Good point. That's true. And I also wanted to say too, for the record, I think a lot of us might be and. and I'm saying this as someone who didn't like the film editing in the movie that much because I thought the movie had some pacing issues. Totally. But I do think that we could be sleeping on and getting a best film editing nomination, not for its pacing, but just like I, I think of the floating heads uh, scene uh, during during that uh, wild speech. And I think of um, the scene at the bar where they're doing the dancing and the the band is playing and. There's a lot of other moments in the film where I think the editing shines through in a creative way that that might catch some people's eyes. Maybe. See, we'll see. I I think they're running a very smart campaign for an August release. It's it's on a simmer right now. It's still in the conversation. It's not the leading contender. But it reminds me a little bit of the, the campaign for, of all things, Spotlight, which came on with a blast. Uh, and then lowered it to a simmer and then wound up finishing strong at the end. I have to ask this question, too, and I just want to entertain the uh, possibility. Does anyone else here think that from a historical significance, um, the themes, how well it plays possibly on screen or how entertaining it is, but also at the same time feels important? Has anybody considered the idea that Black Klansmen could do well in a preferential ballot for a Best Picture win? I don't think it'll do well on a preferential. I think it could be okay. I mean, depending on the campaign. Um, but I think so many other things have to fall into place. And you have to remember that for as liberal as the Academy is, there's still their share of John Voights in the Academy. And Clint Eastwood's. But you need a consensus here. Uh, that's not going to cut it. Well, can and Matt, you started out the, the question by asking about Golden Globe predictions. Um, I don't think Black Klansman is going to do great with um, the Golden Globes. I think it will do better with the Guilds. I'm sure it will do well with SAG and the Oscars. I think it will get those huge nominations at the Oscars. But I think I could see it just getting a, a picture and maybe a screenplay nomination at the Globes. 
So, you know, I could see John David Washington showing up. I could see uh, Spike showing up in director because the Globes like to nominate um, name star directors. They do, but they also have um, a blind spot. Okay. Yeah. Get Out last year, for instance. I mean, that wasn't even nominated for screenplay. Mm. That is a good point. Okay. All right, then. Well, that pretty much concludes everything I have for this week's episode. Does anybody else have anything they want to say? See First Man. It's really worth checking out. And The Hate You Give. Yes, of course, The Hate You Give. And go see A Star is Born Again. What the hell? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Join everybody else. All righty, then. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? On Twitter at Mike Movie. Ryan C. Showers. At Ryan C. Showers. Tom O'Brien. On Twitter at, at Thomas E. O'Brien. And Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at CodyMonster91. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 112 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback, your support. Write us something. Let us know what you think. Seriously, we're almost up to 100 reviews on iTunes. So I would really, really appreciate it if you guys could go on there and say something nice. Something nice. I want to preface by saying that. And also, too, if you're feeling very generous, head on over to our Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us over here at nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening. We shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right?